Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the Long Relief Podcast. My name is Austin Takuda. I am one of your two co-hosts and I have to introduce my other host, Barrett Hodgson. Barrett, welcome to the podcast. I know we're excited to get this off the ground and get episode one going. I'm extremely excited, Austin. It's, I've been looking forward to it for weeks now and uh, let's go with Long Relief. So it should be an exciting time here on the Long Relief Podcast. We're just focusing on baseball, uh, kind of a diehard baseball podcast, we hope. We should be bringing you guys some interviews and everything. But first, a little bit about me and Barrett. So, Barrett, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm a, uh, a junior at Endicott College, and I'm a journalism major. Uh, I focus in sports journalism. Uh, I have a lot of experience writing sports and some experience talking sports. This past uh, summer, I was with the Cape Cod Baseball League as a writer. And uh, I'm a Red Sox fan, a diehard Sox fan, but diehard baseball fan as well. Awesome, Barrett. I know we'll have some good conversations uh, with about the Red Sox, I mean, especially with the postseason run that they're making. And I guess a little bit about myself, as mentioned, I'm Austin Dakuda. I'm the other host of this podcast. I'm a junior sports broadcasting major at Dean College. And last summer, I also was in the Cape Cod Baseball League as a an announcer, play-by-play announcer with the Hyannis Harbor Hawks. Uh, it's a good experience down there, Barrett. We played Wareham a few times. Definitely a fun summer, although uh, we did not make the playoffs, either of our teams, but it was definitely a memorable experience for sure. Yes, it definitely was, and uh, I'm looking forward to possibly going back this summer. Me as well. Maybe the uh, Hawks can get hot this summer. That would be nice. <laughs> yeah, hopefully the Gateman makes some noise too. It should be a fun summer down in the Cape again, but for now let's focus a little bit on MLB baseball and what's going on currently in the postseason. Barry, you mentioned you're a Red Sox fan. I'm a Phillies fan, so the dynamic should be a little bit interesting you're used to playoff baseball. I haven't seen them make the playoffs in 10 years. I don't remember them winning the World Series. I was like seven years old, uh, just learning how to hit a baseball into the outfield. So I have absolutely no recollection of them being good. But for the Red Sox, they've made quite the run this season. You know, they've had a couple World Series. But at the time of this recording, they're tied 2-2 in the series with Houston. Um, I guess let's just start at the beginning of the playoffs with the Sox and the Yankees. I mean, that was an incredible game. I mean, if you're a baseball fan, I think besides the Yankees fans, you got to be happy to see Garrett Cole out of that game. Yeah, I was actually had the pleasure to attend that game in person, and the environment at Fenway Park, I think, made a huge difference in the way that Garrett Cole pitched. Um, they were the crowd was awesome. It was cheering his name the whole time, and it was very clearly rattling him. Uh, he got two quick outs, but then he gave up a walk, and Bogey sent one dead center. And it was kind of over from there. It felt like they were just depleted. They didn't ever really got any offense going against Evoldi. He's been pretty good this postseason. And overall, it was a great atmosphere and great for baseball. Well, the games, the atmosphere you mentioned has been incredible throughout the postseason. And starting off that Yankee series, that was just one of the best things you like to see. Even though I'm a Phillies fan, not a Sox fan, I still – I'm from Massachusetts, so I mean, I don't like the Yankees. So it's always good to see the Red Sox and the fans kind of uh, get on board. And I know that people in this town, especially like sports talk hosts, have talked a lot about how baseball can be a dying sport. But I think this postseason has shown that it's definitely not a dying sport. And its popularity is definitely on the rise in Boston. Yeah, that aspect of things has really bothered, bothered me as a Red Sox fan because all of Boston media has kind of doubted this team all year. Uh, they doubted their trade deadline, and they said that the sport was dying. They referenced how Fenway has had low numbers this year, but they didn't account for the COVID numbers at the beginning of the year. They just kind of say stuff to say stuff. But it's very clear in the postseason, 
not only in the stadium as it packs, but out on the streets during the game, at the restaurants, at the uh, bars and stuff. It's just an insane atmosphere. There's people that are begging to get into the game to watch it. And it's just kind of crazy to people to say that it's a dying sport when so many people have been just diehard Red Sox fans this, this postseason. And I think one of the things that you mentioned was the trade deadline for Boston and how they were criticized over their additions of Kyle Schwarber, uh, Hansel Robles. But I think people just kept saying they didn't do enough. But now you get to the postseason. Kyle Schwarber has made an incredible impact overall. And even Robles put it together a little bit down the stretch. And I personally think the deadline was fine. I, I thought they did it okay. And you look at it. Uh, with Bobby Dahlbeck getting hot, a lot of people were mad they didn't get Rizzo, but I, I honestly think the Red Sox had a fine trade deadline. I think they did as well, and the additions of Robles and the other reliever, Austin Davis, had huge impacts to getting to this spot. They might not have been huge aspects in the postseason, but we aren't here right now without them at the end of that month of June, I mean, uh, of September, because Robles was really hot, like you said, and Austin Davis was absolutely shutting down lefties towards the stretch of the, the year here. And in the postseason, you've seen Davis come in and face a couple lefties and make some outs. Uh, Robles has struggled a little bit in the ALCS, but he was a lot better against the Rays. And Schwarber has been awesome. There's no other way to describe it. He's helped the whole lineup. They're much more disciplined in the playoffs. They're taking a lot more walks, taking a lot more balls overall. And they're getting starters out of the game a lot earlier because I think they're taking some of his approach that he takes when he goes up to, to bat. And Bobby Dahlbeck, another guy, we haven't seen him a ton this playoffs, but he got hot at the end of the year. Is he like, I mean, I think he'll be a fine first baseman down the stretch. I think he's got 30 to 35 home run potential, but is there a possibility, do you think, that they don't re-sign Schwarber and maybe Bobby Dahlbeck just becomes the first baseman next year full-time? I think there's definitely a possibility of that. I think it's going to come down to where they think the growth is with Dahlbeck. I think they kind of known he's a 30 to 35 home run guy, but his defense has actually been really good this year. It's something that people talk about. Like at the end of these games and the Red Sox are up big, they're putting Dahlbeck in to play defense because Schwarber isn't a natural first baseman. So it's kind of tough to say, but I could see if Schwarber's number's too big, I think they'd let him go. But he also has the ability to play the outfield, which is a big thing in the Red Sox organization. They like guys who can play multiple positions. So I think you could see them re-signing Schwarber and having Dahlbeck be a mainstay in the lineup. And then they give guys like Verdugo, Kiki, and Renfro rest days, kind of like they did in the regular season. And then when you get to the postseason, maybe it's more Schwarber, depending on how the, how the injuries go or how the bats are looking. But I think Dahlbeck will play a lot. I think if they brought back Schwarber, he would play a lot. I think it's kind of – I think they kind of benefit from each other, honestly. And in this series, we've seen a little bit of both. You mentioned Bobby's glove defensively as a defensive replacement, something that back in April or May – well, I guess, number one, back in April or May, nobody was expecting the Red Sox to make the playoffs. I think a lot of people underestimated them as a team. But even Bobby defensively, people would never have guessed he's coming into a game – in October as a defensive replacement, but he's been solid all along. And I think he's actually helped the Red Sox down the stretch defensively. And even Schwarber has been improved defensively at first base. Yeah. I mean, Bobby Dahlbeck, I think has been excellent towards the end of the year defensively at the beginning of the year. Like you mentioned, it was a little rocky, but 
as things went on and he got him one natural feel for the position playing it every single day, he definitely improved. And Schwarber, the experiment's honestly gone well at first base. He's digging balls that I didn't expect him to be able to dig out of the dirt on throws. And he's made a couple of nice snags on liners. I think that defensively, the whole Red Sox team has improved a lot during the postseason. I think they made their second era last night. And in the regular season, they weren't an awesome fielding team. So it's been good to see the, both the first, place, first base play defensively and the overall team defensively play good. So the Sox, we talked about how they beat the Yankees. Overall, a pretty flawless game. They go into that race series. They win in four games. Not a bad series. Uh, Wander Franco looked real good for Tampa Bay. Uh, 20 years old. That kid's going to be a phenom. And if you're a team in the AL East, I think you do not want to see him because he seems to just kill the teams in the division. And that guy's going to be a problem for a long time. And he showed it in that series. Yeah, Wander Franco is definitely a problem. Between his bat, his glove, and his speed, he's good at every aspect of the game. And he's going to be real good for a long time. And then when you put his youth along with Randy Rosarena and Brandon Lau, they have some good foundational pieces to build around going forward. And that race team is going to be tough. Yeah, Rosarena stole home in that game. I mean, Josh Taylor, I think, fell asleep a bit on the mound. But that was a, that was a pretty cool postseason moment. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, Rosarena seems to be making those the past two years now. And I'm sure he's going to be a mainstay in postseason highlights going forward. And then moving out of that race series into the current series against the Astros, all knotted up at two apiece. Game one in Houston, a little bit of a disappointing game. And, you know, some people argued, well, if the Sox down the stretch had acquired, you know, better bullpen pieces, maybe that game's a bit different. Maybe the Sox are walking uh, walking off happy in that game rather than uh, walking off losers thanks to Carlos Correa. But a tough game one. Uh, but I think it's still a positive thing that you left Houston at 1-1 in the series heading to Boston. Yeah, I think that was huge to leave at 1-1. Um, it's kind of tough because that, that game one definitely feels like a game that you could have won and possibly been up 3-0 in this series. Uh, but looking back on it, they put together a couple of good at-bats in that game. They got the ace for the Astros out of the game early, Framber Valdez. And they really – they've done a good job spending that Houston bullpen. Um, so, overall, I think – there was positives in that first game, even though you lost. Uh, but Houston, they had some timely hits. Altuve with the game-tying home run. Correa with the, the go-ahead. And then it was kind of – it just kind of fell over when you gave up the home run to Altuve late in the game. I would game. agree. And it was kind of the same thing uh, yesterday with the Altuve home run in the eighth to tie it up at two. Both times it kind of felt like the game – kind of felt over. You kind of felt like you blew your opportunity. You needed to get six out. You couldn't get it done both times. I think the biggest thing, too, is with that Astros team is anytime you allow them to tie a game like that, they're pretty much going to win. Yeah, they're just – their lineup, one through seven, so dangerous. And not that the Sox are bad by any means. I just think that the Astros as a team are just so deep and resilient that they're tough to beat because of their talent level. Yeah, and I think it's just momentum swings. Like, I feel like, yeah, the Sox, they knocked Granky out of the game early. But the Astros' bullpen went seven and two-thirds of no-run ball. And that just kind of – you could feel the at-bats changing throughout the game. You could feel the Red Sox weren't stringing together great at-bats. And then as the game went on, once they got uh, Pavetta out of the game, 
the Astros had a lot better at bats, and they ended up they ended up blowing things up at the end of the game, taking the winning game four. Now, Zach Greinke, is there a more predictable thing than seeing Zach Greinke be done in the second inning last night? Because I mean, I could with the atmosphere at Fenway, I could have put money on it that Greinke was not making it more than three. Yeah, <laughs> the way that Zach Greinke plays, we know he's a he's a he's a fun player, honestly, to watch for me. But he's uh, he's in his own head sometimes, and you kind of just felt that he wasn't going to go very long, and he didn't have the control to go long. It was honestly a good move by Dusty Baker to get him out of there before he had to go around the lineup again, because I think things could have got pretty ugly. He, had, he walked three guys in the first nine batters and gave up a homer. So uh, it was pretty predictable, I'd agree. But I think the Sox, too, last night, they just didn't capitalize on the guys that got on base. They left double digits runners on base and uh, in scoring position, I believe. And, I mean, if you're in a playoff game against a team as good as the Astros, I mean, you might be able to get away with it in, in, a, in a one game against the Yankees. You know, you have – a, lot, a decent amount of guys getting on base or in a series against the Rays, no slight to Tampa Bay, but against the Astros, if you're going to leave double digit guys in scoring position, you really have no shot at winning that game. Yeah, you don't. And that's the thing that they're going to need to improve on for game five. Um, and I think they could do that with maybe a little small ball. We haven't seen a lot of bunting out of Boston this year at all. Uh, we saw it a little bit out of Christian Arroyo in the previous series. So I think we could see a little bit more small ball in the bottom of the order tonight. But uh, I definitely think you need to be able to push those runners in scoring position across to beat a team that's as good as the Astros. And a lot of people didn't even mention the runners in scoring position. They just immediately deflected the blame of last night's loss in game four uh, to home plate umpire Laz Diaz. And now I'll admit, you know, as an unbiased baseball fan with my team never being playing in the month of October, I usually watch these playoffs without really picking a favorite, but Les Diaz just did not have a good game for himself last night behind the dish. No, 23 missed ball and strike calls. is That's a lot for a, a big game. Uh, uh, kind of, It kind of felt like it could have decided the series. If the Sox go up 3-1, Boston fans should feel good about what they have going on, but with the game at 2-2, they're just going to deflect it off to the umpire. And yeah, he had a really bad game, and Yes, that Avoldi straight call was close, but like we talked about, the runners in scoring position, should we even been on that spot? Probably not. Yeah, it should have been a different game. And, I mean, I think – I don't know if you follow them on Twitter, umpire scorecards, they, like – they grade every game for an umpire. And Diaz had, like, the worst performance of the year last night. He was, like, at 88% accuracy, which is the worst grade they've given out this year. Yeah, that's inexcusable in a playoff game. And uh, especially when – they have a crew of six guys for the playoffs. So they don't – like, this guy did, probably didn't have to call that game, and he probably shouldn't even have been assigned to this series. He's had a bad year overall on that umpire scorecards thing. I was looking at it, and he's been in, like, the bottom half of umpires. So it was kind of confusing for me to see him behind the plate or even umpiring a series like this. But well, I guess it could be worse. What about it? Not <laughs> uh, Hernandez, right? Yeah, it's not Angel. That's the only positive. <laughs> Keep him out in L.A. with the Dodgers and the, and the Braves. I don't know if he's on that series. He was doing a playoff game, though, at one point. Yeah, he was in the, uh, he was in the Dodgers-Giants series. I remember seeing him. Yeah, and then they bring up uh, – who did they bring up? Was that Chris Bryan on the check swing out there? It wasn't Angel, I don't think, that rang him up. No, it was uh, – it wasn't Angel that rang him up. It was Wilma Flores on the check swing in the game. Uh, right. because but I like – 
Twitter talking about that a little bit. I liked how um, Gabe Kapler talked about that. He was like, that's not why we lost the game. Yeah. Which I it mean, wasn't. Kapler's an interesting guy. I mean, switching over to the NL for a little bit, I think. Kapler, he, I watched him in Philly for two years, right? This guy comes out, his first ever game as a manager. Walks out there in a muscle shirt, basically. Walking around like he owns the joint. Five and a third innings pitched. Aaron Nola's going to have one run. 64 pitches. Here comes Kapler. Takes him out of the game. <laughs> Takes him out of the game. Brings in some guy named Holby Milner, who gives up a two-run moonshot to Freddie Freeman. First ever game as a manager. Philadelphia turned on him like that. That was it. He was done. So he, he leaves Philadelphia. Goes out to San Francisco after, after two years in Philly. And is absolutely killing it out there with a San Francisco team full of 260 hitters who hit 15 home runs. I, I don't know about the analytics as much, but, like, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. My only guess is that that locker room is really good. I think it's a lot of veteran guys who have been in the postseason before, and they all stayed relatively healthy. Buster Posey stayed healthy. Brandon Crawford stayed healthy when they got hot at the beginning and when they stayed hot at the end. And then they got guys like Lamonte Wade things that helped them win games. It always felt like they're in a game no matter what. Yeah, and unfortunately the Giants are out of the playoffs. Uh, so we don't get to see them continue anymore. But they had such a good run. It was exciting. It was fun to watch. And just like the Cardinals did. Uh, the Cardinals had another long win streak at the end of the year, too. They looked good, and I thought they would be able to make a deeper run than they did. Yeah, I agree with you, but both those teams ran into the almighty Dodgers. Well, the Dodgers so, are a super team of the league now. So the Dodgers are really now a super team of the league, and – they took out the Cardinals and they took out the Giants, who both had really good runs. But the Braves, Austin, they've been the Braves have played them tough. Yeah, the Braves have played them tough. And as a Phillies fan, I was hoping the Phillies would make the playoffs against the Braves down the stretch and go into that uh, second to last series of the year against the Braves, uh, down two games in the division. But you know what do the Phillies do? They give you an absolute stinker and lose all three. Uh, <laughs> no surprise there. It's showing some real heart for the boys. And, uh, you know, the Braves make the playoffs. The Braves finish strong. They make the playoffs. I think they surprise a lot of people uh, with the way they've played. You know, they handle the Brewers pretty easily. They come in and look pretty pretty good against the Dodgers. I mean, when you can have a playoff game in which you win that Max Scherzer started against you, I think you're in good shape. And they're, they're a scary team now. Yeah, they are a scary team. And a real reason to why they've been so good is how good their trade deadline was. They got Eddie Rosario, Adam Duvall, Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler. They got four outfielders for this depleted outfield once they lost Ronald Acuna Jr. Inciarte wasn't having a good year. And they basically retooled their lineup with those four guys. And even with Soler coming down with COVID for this series, we've seen Eddie Rosario step up big time in the leadoff spot and have some really big performances. And as a team, I mean, for them to respond, so you lose your star player, he tears his ACL, he's done for the year. They could have just rolled over and been done, but they, like, went on a win streak. They got hot. They had a great second half. That just shows you how much of a resilient team they're, they are. And I think 
resiliency is the number one word we've heard all postseason with all of these teams. You have to be resilient. All of these teams have bounced back from some form of a losing streak or some form of adversity or struggle, and they've come in and they, especially the Braves, they've impressed. Yeah, so the Braves, they really have impressed. Like we talked about, they lost Ronald Acuna Jr., but they also went the whole year without Mike Soroka, who was a great starting pitcher for him a couple of years ago before he hurt his Achilles. And they pieced together the rotation in the offseason. They got Charlie Morton, who's been good in the playoffs. Max Fried has, gone, has been really good to end the year. And their bullpen's been trustworthy. And that's basically why they've been so impressive in this playoff. Yeah, and they've, they've got a, a deep team overall after those trade deadline acquisitions, but they're going against probably the deepest team in baseball overall in the, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And Cody Bellinger had struggled much of the year, batting under 200, just having under 10 home runs. And he's had a couple of big postseason home runs. And I think analysts have talked about this. If he got hot, the Dodgers were a team that were going to the World Series, and it seems Bellinger has found his swing a bit. Yeah, that team is scary enough with Bellinger hitting 200. But with Bellinger hot, they're, they're an absolute buzzsaw. Um, if all those bats get going at the same time between Betts and Seager, Turner, both the Turners, Will Smith, that's a deep lineup with a deep rotation and a very deep bullpen. That's, it's definitely the best roster on paper in the league, um, but we'll see. They're down 2-1. They gotta, they gotta win one here tonight. Even things up at two-two. Yeah, because you can't go down three-one, and that was the biggest thing last night. The Sox pull that one up, and they're up three-one. I think the Astros might be toast. The Dodgers, if they go down three-one, as good as they are pitching-wise, you're down three-one. One mistake, and the series is over. Yeah, I agree. And that mistake could be as little as it could be an error. It could be uh, you, your reliever gives us a home run in the seventh, and you don't score any more runs the rest of the game. So. When you're down 3-1, you pretty much got to play perfect for three more games. And we have seen the Dodgers do it before. Last, last year with the Braves, they came back from 3-1. So it's kind of interesting dynamic to see what, what's going to transpire in the coming days in that series. And this series, is a, a lot of people have highlighted the contracts the Atlanta Braves signed uh, Acuna to, and Albies to. Now they're getting national attention, especially Ozzy being in the lineup uh, every day. And the Braves have signed some of the best contracts of all time. Ozzy Albies is at, I think, six years, $36 million. They signed him to that extension. And Acuna was, I think, I want to say 10 years and around $150 million or so. They have a couple of bargains. Yeah, they have had – they've had – they've been really well managed by the general manager between those two signings and the trade deadline they had. And then they, they re-signed Charlie Morton this, at the end of this year. He's been good for him. And then basically all they have left to do to make this team kind of a, a juggernaut moving forward is re-sign Freddie Freeman. But it's been really impressive in how they've performed as an organization uh, finding this talent and signing it for cheap. Yeah, it makes you a little bit jealous because I watched the Phillies, you know, trot out Andrew McCutcheon at $17 million this year. And I see Ozzy Albies go get six million a year for the next six, so <laughs> be a little disappointing from uh, a fan, a Phillies fan aspect, and uh, being in that division, I got to watch those guys for the next ten years, just much like Sox fans have to watch Wander Franco for a long time. But we'll see how it turns out. It, it, uh, you never know what happens. Hopefully, uh, Bryce Harper can uh, earn every year of that thirteen-year deal. 
Yeah, and I, he did this year, for sure. Bryce Harper had a great year this year, but it just seems like the Phillies always run into some sort of issue. You guys traded for Ian Kennedy, and then he started to sync it up. Well, that and... was great. <laughs> he, <laughs> he comes out first night, first save opportunity, home run. <laughs> yeah. that, just, that feels like how it's gone in Philly the past couple of years with Every the bullpen. Time. Every time. The bullpen does, has been unlocked. It seems yeah, it seems like it doesn't matter who it is. Just something's going to go south somehow. <laughs> well, Joe Girardi kept trotting out David Hale uh, in key situations at the beginning of the year, and then the guy gave up two grand slams in a week. Then they DFA him. So then they say, you know what, let's, let's try Hector Neris in a, a two-winning role. And he actually did okay in that because they, uh, they couldn't use him as closer anymore because he blew about five saves. So that left him without a closer. And then Jose Alvarado... Uh, likes to walk guys more than he likes to strike them out. So that didn't go over well. And then at the end of the year, it ended up with Kennedy, and it, it is what it was. So, Yeah, and hopefully you guys can make some moves in the offseason and get some reliable arms and compete with this Braves team that's making a deep run in the postseason seemingly every year. At the time of this recording, as we mentioned, uh, the Braves up 2-1 in their series. The Astros and Red Sox are tied at 2 so, Barrett, give me your uh, postseason predictions the rest of the way. What are you thinking goes down? Oh, man. Uh, it can be tough. For the, Red Sox, for the Red Sox and Astros series, I think it's going seven. Uh, I thought it was going seven from the beginning. Um, I think it's going to be key for the Red Sox to win in Boston in game five because mm-hmm. um, I think game six is, game six is probably going to be an Astros win. But – I mean, I think it depends who's on the mound. If Avoldi, if Avoldi goes six and Erod goes seven, I don't know. I don't know if I like Erod, Erod against the Astros lineup at their at Minute Maid. But I could see that one's going to go seven. And then the Braves Dodgers series. I I think the Dodgers are going to win the series because I just think they have too much talent. Um, but obviously they're gonna they can't go down three one or it's gonna have to go seven. Uh, but I think both series go seven and I'll give you I'll give you Red Sox Dodgers as my picks. Red Sox Dodgers World Series. See, I as much as I want to pick the Braves to hold on to that series at two one, I have to go the Dodgers. I just can't bet against a team with that much talent. There's just no way. I mean, when you look at that roster on paper and how they're coming together and Cody Bellinger getting hot. I got to take the Dodgers. So I think we agree there. And I can't bet against the Red Sox either because every year there's a team that gets momentum and gets hot and wins games late. And it's been the Red Sox this year. It was the Nationals uh, in 2019. And even the Dodgers last year, they started to win some games late. So it's the teams who win games late and who have that intangible aspect that I think the Red Sox have. Um, And sometimes I think that intangible uh, that kind of it factor out, will beat out talent. And the Astros, I think, certainly have the talent. But I think I think the Dodgers series is going to go seven. I think the Sox series is going to go six. I think the Red Sox are going to win. You think the Sox get it done in the next two? I think they do. I think, you know, the Fenway crowd is going to be amped up again tonight. I think they can have a competitive good night tonight. And if they can just keep it within a couple, I think they have some late magic left in them. And then you go to Minute Maid. Uh, for your next game. I think that one's on Friday, right? The next game at Minute Maid? Yeah. So they go to Minute Maid Friday. You come back with Evaldi probably. 
uh, you, you kind of use you, if you can avoid using uh, Hulk, I think tonight in a long relief role, and you use him in Houston, I think you're in good shape, and I think you can win in six. Yeah, I don't think we've only seen Hulk once, so I think he's going to be getting some pretty hefty innings here to end this series. Um, but yeah, I think the Red, this Red Sox team kind of has the feel of just one of those years where they have a lot of magic in them. And uh, I think the Dodgers are just too good. So that's why they're my picks. The postseason predictions, and we both agree, we have Red Sox, Dodgers, World Series. And we don't have to go into who we think is going to win the World Series in this episode because we're going to record one a week. So by the time we get our next one, we can talk World Series predictions. Uh, but a couple more things to go over in this episode here on the Long Relief Podcast. Maybe we should discuss a little bit of end-of-year awards, Barrett, maybe MVP picks in each league before we wrap up a little bit. Uh, I'll, I can start it off in the NL. I, I got to pick Bryce Harper for my MVP prediction. Yeah, that's understandable. I think Bryce is a good candidate. Um, I think my favorite before he had some some stints on the aisle was Max Muncy. I mm. got to give him some love. I thought he had a really nice year, and he was helping lead that Dodger team. Um, but with the injuries, I have to agree with you in the NL. I think Bryce Harper pieced together his best year in a couple, since his national years, and uh, I think he's deserving. And then for the Cy Young out in the NL, I'm going to go with Corbin Burns as my pick. I, I, think he was, I think he was a dominant force all year, and I think we're going to see him be good for a long time. Yeah, I uh... – I wasn't a huge Corbin Burns guy last year. I wasn't too sure about him, but he came back this year and he looked just absolutely filthy. And I think he has the arm action and the repertoire to last a long time in the league. He doesn't really necessarily exert a ton of energy um, or seem like he's really putting a lot of, of work on that arm. I think he's got real good delivery and I think he can last a long time in this league. Um, I, I do think he'll win the Cy Young. And like I said, I think Harper – is your MVP in the league. And yes, Tatis is electric and had a great year, but he was in the top five in errors. I mean, MVP yeah, is a I, valuable player. It's all around. It's not just what the guy flashes the, you know, the, the bat at the plate or whatever. You got to play some defense. Yeah, and that's why I stayed away from Tatis. He made a lot of errors. Uh, he didn't even really have a position at the end of the year. He was all over the place between shortstop. He played all, all the outfield positions. Um, it was seeming like they were trying to find a home for him once they acquired uh, Adam Frazier. But uh, I think defense definitely factors in, and that's why I like Bryce over Tatis as myself as well. And then in the American League, we got a few candidates for MVP and Cy Young. It's a little bit more split, I think. But for MVP, I, I think there's a clear selection. I think it's Shohei Otani. We've never seen anyone do what he did. Uh, Betting 257, he had 46 homers, 100 RBI, stole 26 bases, and pitched an incredible season. Going, I think, 23 starts we have down. And overall was effective. And he are right under three and a half and just managed to have a Babe Ruth-like season that we've never seen. I mean, he is – to do all of that in one year, I know Vlad had a great season, but Otani has to be the MVP pick for me. Yeah, he has to be with the pitching stats and the stolen bases. Uh, I think it's a no-brainer, too. We've never seen it before. It's, we haven't seen a season like that ever. Not with the stolen bases factor in as well. It's, it's incredible how he can literally do every aspect of the game. Um, and then 
And as for Cy Young in the American League, I'd rather just not pick one. I mean, I don't <laughs> think anybody really deserved it. But I guess if I'm going to go with someone, I'll go with, I'll go with Robbie Ray. I think he had a strong – he had a strong year, and he pitched very well. But the team didn't make the playoffs, and he kind of he stumbled at the end. But the same thing happened with the other main candidates. So, I don't know. I liked Robbie Ray's season. I thought he bounced back from last year. Yeah, just, there's not one guy that sticks out to you and you're like, all right, that's that's definitely the Cy Young this year. You know, he was dominant. Ray was pretty good. He had a good year down the stretch. I think that's important for Serrano to have him for the next couple of years while he's pitching this well. Um, I just don't know if he was good enough to, to win Cy Young, especially a lot of the voters might lean in a different direction. Um, ERA-wise, he was much better than Garrett Cole. Ray finishing – uh, the year with a 2.84 ERA, Garrett Cole at 3.23. Um, so, I mean, that's definitely in Robbie Ray's fav- uh, favor. And we don't really need to look at wins too much. I think wins are an overrated way of looking at who should win Cy Young. I think Jake DeGrom showed that in the NL um, yeah. in a couple of years. Um, so, I guess as much as I don't want to pick one, I guess I have to agree with you, unfortunately, and pick Ray as well because I just can't see – Garrett Cole beating Robbie Ray when Garrett Cole's ERA is, you know, half a point higher than Ray's. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, and what, who else is there? Rodon? Rodon was hurt at Rodon the end good. of the year, so I think it kind of takes him out of it. Lance Lynn stumbled towards the end of the year. I don't think it was a great pitching year for the AL. No, definitely not. <laughs> Overall. When your candidate, your number three candidate in Lance Lynn only threw 157 innings, it's not really ideal. You're looking for guys who are hitting 200 innings, I'd say, because in a normal year, you, you not, not that this isn't an abnormal year, I guess just an, un, an abnormal year in terms of pitching success, but in a normal year, your guys are, you're looking for somebody who's throwing 200 innings. Yeah, I agree with you, and that's why I think it's so tough to decide uh, who's going to win the Cy Young because no one really jumps off, jumps off the charts when you look at their stats. And then ESPN's uh, predictor has Liam Hendricks, the closer, as the Cy Young, the quitter there <laughs> from a month or so ago. I mean, I, I mean, I'll give it to a closer if it's Mariano Rivera, but Liam Hendricks blew six saves this year, yeah. and then being array at two point five. It wasn't like he was lights out. Yeah, I, I wouldn't give it to a closer with six blown saves. That guy, if you're gonna win Cy Young as a reliever, you need to be pretty much perfect. I'd say. And Hendricks was not perfect, much like many bullpens around the league who have stumbled this year and like many managers who have stumbled around the league this year. So let's take a look back in our last portion of the show at some of the managers who have uh, been fired or who are on the hot seat and what's going on in the world of MLB managers. I guess we should start with the the, uh, Cardinals firing their manager, Mike Schilt, after a couple of years there and after an incredible run to make the playoffs. But I guess in the end, they decided that there were different philosophies as how the organization was going to go. Yeah, that really surprised me. When you string together 17 straight wins, uh, I'd probably think my job would be safe. But when they talk about philosophies and analytics, I guess they didn't agree, and that's why they moved on from them. And I think he'll find a home relatively quick in the next couple of years here because of just that run alone. I mean – when you think about the Cardinals, they were pretty much dead in the water at the start of – it was either August or September. They had like a 0.1% chance of making the playoffs. That means that someone had to really rally rally that locker room together and talk about things and get, get them all on the same page. And I think that's bigger than analytics in a way. 
So I think Schilt probably had a lot to do with that. Um, so that's why I think he'll find himself a job. But I guess they want to go the more analytic route. Yeah, I was surprised with it too. But I think the more surprising move to me was the extension of good old Aaron Boone in New York. I know Yankees fans have uh, – soured on him a bit they decided you know what let's give him three years and that just seems to be quite the change from how the Yankees used to be um with the lack of success they've had in terms of bringing home a pennant uh you'd think there'd be a, a change there but uh I guess it's we're, we're happy as New Englanders to see Boone back in New York because he hasn't really done much for him so far yeah it, that one's so confusing to me they basically fired the whole staff he's like the only guy that's still there they fired their hitting coach. They fired their pitching coach and whatnot. And you bring back Boone on three years with a club with a club option. I mean, I don't know. I don't think he's the best game manager. Maybe they say a lot that he connects with players well and uh, Judge has advocated for him a lot. So I mean, I guess it helps that your best player loves him. But I don't know. I didn't think it makes much sense. But I'm happy as a Red Sox fan that he is going to be a Yankee manager in the future. <laughs> I would say so. That's a good thing to be happy about because he hasn't really shown you any ability to out-coach Alex Cora, who's been one of the best managers in baseball since he's become a manager with Boston. And I think that I was going to ask you, I mean, that must say something about how the players feel about Boone because I can't imagine, you know, with these guys like Judge and Stanton there for a long time and Garrett Cole locked up to a long contract. I mean, if they didn't like Aaron Boone, they wouldn't be extending him for three years. So it says something about how the players feel about him, I guess. Yeah, there's been a lot of players in that locker room who said good things about him and how he, he – I mean, he has gone and fight, like fought for him during a game. Like I can just remember instances where there's been a call or something where Boone will run out there and he'll, he'll give the ump an ear full. So I guess he does do that aspect of the game, right? He was an MLB player himself, so I guess that helps him connect with players as well. But I just don't think his game managing is where it needs to be. So Boone is staying – uh, Schilt is out in in St. Louis, but are there any other managers that you think Barrett could be getting fired this offseason? Uh, it's tough to, to think off the top of your head, but I mean, I think it also, if they were getting fired, they probably would have already gotten canned, right? Yeah, I would think so. I was kind of surprised to see uh, Rocco Valdelli not get fired from Minnesota because uh, they had one of the worst regressions I've seen in a team in a long time. They were absolutely horrible. They went from a wild card team to not good at all. And I thought Baldelli might have had to do with that a little bit. Um, when almost all your players regress, I think that says something. But he was the guy that I was surprised they didn't fire right away. But I mean, he hasn't been there very long. I guess he had success at the beginning, and they probably want to give him one more year, is what I'm guessing, right. to see if he can right the ship. Yeah. And I was talking to a twin scout down the Cape this year. We were broadcasting at Katuit, and he was sitting next to us. And my broadcast partner, Lincoln, uh, dropped his – the guy dropped, like, his timer. He picked it up for him, and Lincoln used that as an opportunity to, to ask him what he thought about the Nelson, uh, Nelson Cruz trade when the twins shipped him out to Tampa Bay. And the scout was saying how they were disappointed that they had to make the move because they, they actually thought that they were going to be the team to win that division this year. Yeah, and that division is probably the worst division of baseball when yeah. you look at it. And to the point where the White Sox got eliminated very early on in the playoffs, I think it's because they don't play good teams. Like, the Red Sox 
have played the Blue Jays, the Yankees, and the Rays all year. So I think that helps you. That helps you in a postseason. That's the Sox and three other 90-win teams pretty much. Yeah, and I think that helps helps a lot in the postseason. And like a team like the White Sox, I mean, the Twins were supposed to be good, and they weren't. So other than that, I mean, Indians traded Lindor before the year started. They were bad. And the other two teams in that division have just been bad for years. So <laughs> that's, that's just a terrible division. And I think that's also part of the reason why Lance Lynn uh, and Rodone aren't going to get a ton of Cy Young votes because – a good bulk of their starts, or at least as a team, the White Sox, a lot of their games were against their division, obviously, and you're playing the horrible Royals. A Tigers team would play better in the second half, but a bad Indians team, and you mentioned how bad the Twins were. I mean, that division has four of the probably top ten picks in this year's draft coming up after their yeah. performances this year. It just feels like none of those, like Lynn and Rodon, like how much did they really get tested? Right. So... And I get, I think that's why Garrett Cole and Robbie Ray are front runners, because to the point they faced, they're in a division with four 91 teams, so pretty much. So I think that helps their case over the White Sox guys. With the White Sox, I mean, they already said that Tony Larusa will be back for next year, and I, I don't think he's done a bad job in Chicago in his first year there. I mean, he's a little bit more old old school than some of the more modern baseball people would like, but I don't think he did a terrible job overall. But a guy who's gone is in San Diego, and Jace Tengler, the Padres, axed him. And I can't say I was surprised. That team should have made the playoffs. Yeah, that team had way too much talent to not make the playoffs. They should have been in the spot that the Giants were in, but they weren't, and Tengler paid the price for that. Um, I heard, I saw some rumors that they're connected to Ron Washington, the third base coach for the Braves. So I think that would be an interesting fit because he's kind of an older, older style manager. So with him and La Russa and a couple of the other older guys in the league, they kind of making their way back. Yeah. It seemed like as a whole, the league moved away from those old timers. Cause there was a point where Dusty Baker was gone where Ron Washington wasn't a manager um, where obviously La Russa was out of the league for a long time. Um, and they moved towards these younger former players. You had Cora in Boston, Boone in New York, Beltron was hired in, uh, for the Mets for eight days until they realized how much of a cheater he was and they fired him. But they had moved away from all these old-time guys. Obviously, um, the Mets had moved away from their previous managers and gone young. And most teams had gone young. And even Jace Tingler was pretty young, Kevin Cash. And all of a sudden, teams were like, well, let's, I think we went overboard with the analytics. And they started to bring back some of the guys who just know baseball. Is that how you see it? Because I see it kind of as them correcting how – overused the analytics were yeah I think the analytics craze got really really intense here in the past few years and that is why a lot of those young guys were hired and we're seeing a lot of those older managers who just know how to manage the game come back and I think some of these older managers have also learned analytics right like I think Dusty Baker uh in this series against the Red Sox when he pulled Granky last night after he gave up Granky gave up two runs um but that was an analytic move. You didn't want him to face the top of the order again because you knew it could have got bad uh, based off the numbers that they had. So I do think some of these older guys are learning analytics and that's helping them get back in the league. But I think teams are starting to realize, okay, we got these analytic guys, but they might not know how to manage the game the right way. And we've seen that just so often. Where even like Joe Girardi, I think, has tried to modernize himself as a manager for the Phillies. And 
he's gone with these matchups that, I mean, I'm not a, as much of a huge like eye test guy, but if you're going to trot out, you know, David Hale or Eniel De Los Santos, who you DFA'd two weeks later, I could have told you right at that moment that that's not the guy to bring out, even if the numbers might say, well, his sinker works real good against these two guys. It's just you, you understand who they are as a ball player. And I think that's what Alex Cora does so well is he understands who his guys are and what their strengths are, even if the numbers might not always back that up. Yeah, we've seen Cora make some decisions in uh, the 2018 postseason run and this postseason run that he goes against analytics, which I like because I, I think it's smart at times to just know that your players. Uh, but, for example, last night he went to the analytics, he put in Martin Perez, and they were down one run, and Martin Perez uh, it ended up being 9-2. He put in Martin Perez for the lefty to face Brantley, and that did not go well. So even Cora has been bit by the analytic bug at times. Yeah, and uh, Martin Perez, definitely somebody I was surprised to see on the roster. I understand his role. I didn't understand it at that time, though. I thought he would be more of your eat-up innings guy in case of a blowout, but Unfortunately for him, uh, it didn't go his way last night, but there's still plenty of baseball left and plenty of baseball left in the Astros Red Sox series and the Dodgers Braves series. Barrett, before we wrap things up on the long release podcast for our first ever episode, any final thoughts before we send it home? Uh, my final thoughts are I hope we see some good baseball this weekend and I hope we uh, get an exciting World Series matchup. Well, it should be a good week ahead. Red Sox and Astros game five just moments away at the time of this recording. Braves-Dodgers playing again tonight. Should be an exciting series, and we hope to see the Red Sox make it back to the World Series. And for Barrett Hodgson, I'm Austin Dakota wrapping it up on this episode of the Long Relief Podcast. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and have a great night.